Hello and welcome to the Happy You're Here podcast. In this show, we talk about tools, techniques, and ideas to help us live more fulfilling and connected lives. In this show, in this episode, we have Roshan Shetty, who is an author, mentor, blogger, and podcaster. His book, Shift Left on Human Psychology and Emotional Intelligence, is now out, and that's primarily what we're going to talk about in this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Why don't you say hello? Hi, Craig. Uh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me and allowing me to speak on uh, something that has been so close to my heart in the last four years, and uh, I have been working tirelessly on it. So I'm really excited to speak with you about it. And I hope uh, we have some fun while we do that. <laughs> yeah. To me, it, it, it's fun. These these kind of topics are so valuable and so uh, impactful. And I kind of have fun um, on the front of understanding the human mind and how that works, and especially in relationship to modern culture, which is a big part of what your book is about. You told me a little bit about the kind of starting point for the book before uh, before we started recording. Do you want to start there, kind of start with maybe the title? Because there's some there's a kind of the interesting subtitle, and I think that gives some context for where we're going to go with this conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so I, I will just, uh, since the book has just launched yesterday, we did a, a small book reveal, and uh, we had the tabloids and the local news covering that topic uh, and so your this is a book uh, title. It's title. It's called Shift Left, and uh, it's a counterculture narrative towards emotional well-being. Because uh, in today's life, I think that's the most important asset we need to own. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, it it says uh, is is your quest for happiness making you unhappy? And it's so related to your show, uh, which says happy to be here and. <laughs> uh, the first, the, when, when I saw your tagline, when I saw your brand logo or your podcast series, I was so interested and intrigued in terms of what happens over here. So, like you asked me, what what was my motivation uh, to yeah. write? So, it uh, let me be very frank. Uh, until 2018, I never read a book. I never aspired to be a writer. I had never written an article, let alone uh, be a book of 80, 80 or 1,000 words. So uh, this this triggered with an anxiety and panic attack, uh, which I started facing since 2016. And uh, this was absolutely new to me. I never knew why this was happening to me and what was going on. Because as a child or previous to this, I never had these these problems. So uh, this went on for three years, and I started wondering what was happening, and I had to divert my attention. I, I took up to books uh, to read about topics, uh, to research about these areas, to understand something about our emotions, something about our behaviors. And while understanding that, one fine day, I, I just said, let me just go ahead and scribble down something. So I wrote mm. my first blog, which read, uh, which was titled Unapologetically You, which means uh, just be yourself. You don't have to be uh, ashamed of who you are. Or uh, you need not be entitled to the problems that you're facing or the challenges that you have, or you do not need to string yourself or attach yourself to any compulsions in life. Uh, I just shared, it was a 600-word blog article, and I shared it with my friends and relatives. The review and the feedback was very, very positive, which helped me, gave me, gave me the push to go ahead and write some more blogs. Uh, and I think it was about the sixth or seventh blog. I thought, why don't I make a book 
convert this each blog into a book uh, as a chapter, you know. Uh, that is where the idea came in. And uh, I started reading a lot. I started reading uh, books of Yuval Noah Harari, Mark Manson, mm-hmm. Charles Charles Duhigg, uh, Sam Harris. Uh, these are the writers and who were talking the same story, the same narrative. What I understand is uh, our failure into acknowledging our emotions, these, uh, these emotions which are created by societal rules, societal validations then gets converted into our behaviors and uh, that triggers the habits which take us away from the natural state of joy the natural state mm-hmm. of being happiness uh, and happiness which is otherwise sold to us as uh, you know beautifully marketed packages <laughs> which which we do not realize that we are in fact plunging into more grief and more sadness for ourselves so it was highly important that we acknowledge these emotions, understand these emotions, uh, because if we do not understand these emotions better, we do not have control. Tomorrow we are, I mean, we have already entered the robotic age where artificial intelligence systems are designed to tap into our attention and our emotions. So it will be highly difficult uh, for us to control that if we do not acknowledge. So we need to build a system uh, which which is above the artificial intelligence. And that system, uh, in, in popular term, is known as emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. right? So you have human intelligence uh, as a bedrock, and you have artificial intelligence, which is about the human intelligence, which is pulling out data, learning from human human factors. But we need to adopt, we need to adapt our emotional intelligence to understand why an app or why a system is making us to click something. Why is it asking yeah. us to buy something? Why is it asking us to like something? So that is this uh, this entire this entire package had to be put together in in my own narrative, in my own story, and uh, put it out to people because it's not easy. The speed at which the rate at which things are moving, it's very difficult mm-hmm. to comprehend the change around us because when you have been told a false, you might be able to identify the false for the first time. But when the false is being told to you on a repeated manner, if it's been told to you again and again, and if there are more people repeating that false, that becomes part of our behavior, that becomes part of the popular culture. Hence, you mm-hmm. need to move against it and create a counterculture platform to look as an observer into what is happening around them. So that is my attempt at the book uh, to explain uh, people. I hope it reaches the right audience. Uh, I hope people see the sense in uh, reading it and understanding it, most importantly, in implementing it. Yeah, well, I think that's an important aspect because there's a lot of, you know, you might have a lot of understanding or a lot of um, information about the way that social media or technology is is kind of hacking our emotional systems, or you might understand that kind of thing. But if you don't have, that's something I'm a big proponent on of this show is like picking some ways to practice that might look like a formal practice of something but it might also just be like you know getting a little more strict about how do i regulate uh, and how do i become aware of my emotional states do i have a a journaling practice or a meditation practice or something that can make me aware of that so that i'm actually implementing that into my life because if you just kind of are like yeah i know i'll figure it out then you it's so easy to just get caught back up and swept back up because it's this massive wave that's pulling us all along and we're kind of swimming against the current 
when we're trying to be self-aware, emotionally aware beings. Absolutely. Uh, and Craig, I, I, I read on a profile that you are a fraction of Vipassana. You are into meditation. And uh, you know what Vipassana does is it helps us. Uh, it asks us to just focus on a breath. Just forget everything else. Keep coming back to our breathing of uh, inhaling and exhaling. Uh, mm -hmm. Such a simple aspect. It becomes so difficult to practice <laughs> uh, when you try to do it. But it's, it's like I read in a book, it's like a mental workout. You know, mm -hmm. you, you try to focus and then you lose attention. Then you bring your focus back. You lose attention. So that's that's giving uh, that's like doing a bicep curl. Uh, what I understand. Yeah. And it's like stretching a muscle. And in, in scientific terms, that's that's known as neuroplasticity, where you're expanding mm -hmm. the the, the uh, programming power of a brain by doing this. So, yeah, yeah. What are you saying is absolutely right. That helps. That broadens our our thought process in trying to see or trying to build that intuition which is not otherwise visible uh, to the common eye. I think it's interesting that we're not necessarily born with those skills or maybe we are and it's just because of the way that our society is so unnatural uh, and it's kind of you know we have heightened uh, levels of sugar which in nature you know sugar is a good thing sugar gives you energy but when you have too much of it and it's all refined and packed in one thing that's like very bad for our system and then the same thing with like these you know um, entertainment and novelty like that is valuable in nature but in the dosage that we're receiving it in it's like you know we're overdosing on all of these these pleasure uh, chemicals basically yeah that that uh, the dopamine hit right uh, we just want everything uh uh it's it's a disease and that disease today we call it as the fear of missing out uh mm -hmm. we feel that if uh, uh if we do not read a piece of information which is on news if we do not <laughs> see the next feed if we are not part of uh, something popular that is happening we have that fear that oh my god what will happen you know i'm missing out on something which is very important uh we live in an age which is not uh, short of information, but it is excess of information. Uh, mm -hmm. The point that you mentioned of overdosage, and today we have this crisis of overdose of information, uh, which we need to cut out. We need to understand what information is important. I I have stopped reading or watching news since the last two years. And, yeah, me too. <laughs> and and people ask me how how do you survive? I said if I want to learn about something, I will just pick up a book and read it out completely. Than just mm -hmm. reading a, a three hundred page article, three hundred word article, and trying to make my own assumptions out of it. And I'm not sure if that is absolutely true. So I rather read a book which is thoroughly researched, and which gives me a complete understanding on what is the undercurrent that is uh, uh, in the in the society today. So in your uh, on the title or on the backside of your book, you mention how to cut out the or keeping the the media shenanigans at bay. Uh, and I love the way that you termed that. Is there, um, you know, you obviously just don't consume the news, which is more or less what I do too. I at least diet and I try to not consume anything that's not a few weeks old. I, I do like, I will sometimes be like, well, I'm interested in what this specific thing that's happening, just kind of like as an intellectual curiosity, not in like, oh my goodness, the world's going to end if I don't know this thing about President Trump or, you know, what's going on in Belarus, like whatever, like that kind of stuff is so not relevant to our daily lives and our well-being 
Um, and I, I think the idea that we have to know all the time what's going on. I used to work in news, so I know exactly how they're hacking your fear system to get you to stay, keep your eyeballs so that they can make more advertising money. Um, and once you're aware of that, the awareness is only one piece. The really tricky part is how do you actually apply that? And I think that you're alluding at some kind of, you know, suggestions that maybe you've applied in your own life or seen other people apply that can help people actually apply those things. I just have a simple quote for that, uh, a quotation, which says, uh, if you see anything, uh, if you consume the news and think of it anything more than a movie script, the joke, the joke is on you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, uh, we always take something which with a pinch of salt. It's, it's fine. I mean, uh, I mean, you know, you know, it's, it's fine to know what, what is happening, but, uh, what do you need to be? And that's the emotional intelligence which I spoke about. You need to understand that you do not get engulfed into it. Yeah. You do not spend hours watching the same thing on a repeat mode. You can you can pick up a title and you can research deeply into it with various other sources. Uh, book is, like as I mentioned, is a one part of source. You can refer to some listed articles. I am not saying everything that is uh, available on the internet is false. There are some credible uh websites which which give you very enriching information which i subscribe to uh which i use it for my own research which i use it for my own writing or podcasting so though that information is available but you need to know uh how much attention do you pay because everyone is trying to gather attention uh we are living in the attention economy uh mm-hmm. you know let's wake up to it you made you made a, a good comment there of how much attention do we pay I think that is a powerful term, the the idea of paying attention. Like you only have so much awareness, so much attention. And if you are kind of haphazardly dishing it out or allowing people to suck it up left and right, then you're not able to invest that attention into things that matter to you, like your own well-being. Yes. Uh, as I mentioned uh, uh, yesterday, we were in uh, part of my opening of my uh, launch of my book. And we had the psychiatrist who was mentioning the frontal lobe of humans. Mm. And he said, there's only so much information that humans can adapt to uh, or can store in the memory. They cannot process information more than what is required. And we are social animals. Yes, we require to connect to different people. And the current times of COVID has really challenged us because we are confined to our homes for, I think, about six months now. without having great contact with people as we used to. Uh, So we are cut down and that is leading us and that is pushing us to the the information economy and the attention economy where we are trying to connect with people online. Uh, In that bargain, we are just consuming everything that is thrown up to us. We are not able to draw boundaries, draw a framework in terms of what should be taken in, what should be internalized, and what should be kept away. Uh, Because our brain cannot process information about a certain point of time, about a certain volume. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's the reason we we sometimes just lose it, and then we blame that the world is coming to an end. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people can experience that. Or if you haven't, if you took some time to sit with yourself and notice it, you're probably feeling a lot of uh, mental exhaustion from all of the consumption because humans are not meant to consume that amount of information. Like, it's just not possible. Actually, one of the very first episodes of this podcast was about a information diet and how 
and it, it, we, we referenced some Harvard studies and some other studies that were specifically about like the capacity of the human brain to only really absorb so much information in any given day. It's basically like an energy exchange. Um, and, and the amount of information that we're consuming through the news cycle, social media, all of those things, advertisements and all of that is just such a massive amount. It's just completely overloading our minds. And then we wonder why we feel exhausted and depressed and anxious. It, it leaves you with one answer. How do you define your world? Uh, mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just trying to uh, shift this conversation towards some spirituality over here because mm. uh, all of this that we are talking about uh, comes from some deep-seated philosophies. It is not something which is very new. It is not something which is random. It is not something which has just come out out of thin air. These, these strategies, these business ideas, uh, which are taking tech companies uh, and getting them listed on top and having their brand evaluation bigger than the oil companies because today data is a new oil. Uh, mm. This these comes from some old philosophies. Uh, one one spiritual guru, uh, which uh, an Indian was uh, Bhagwan Maharishi, who says there is no world uh, which which exists outside. Uh, it's all on your perception. You know when we close our eyes and when we go to sleep. The world shuts down because we are not thinking anything. We are completely internalized. Uh, the world is completely gone, and it's only and we have a peaceful sleep because the picture of the world does not exist when our eyes are closed. Uh, yeah. Our thoughts and our and our observations are all inwards, you know. And the world only wakes up when we wake up in the morning. Uh, that's the world we 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 interact with. We talk with. We try to be a part of that world, but uh, it's all on a perception on where you want to, where how do you want to draw your world? Uh, mm-hmm. If you say that the world is bad, the world uh, is you know uh, having all the negative forces, then you would exist in that world constantly, even if you do not want to. But if you see a world as beautiful, if you draw the boundary into what your world has to be, if you if you develop those thoughts and if you internalize your emotions, uh, if you try to control your own thoughts, you know, then what whatever happens on the external world is immaterial because internally you are strong. Internally, you have created this beautiful landscape in which you exist and everything around you is beautiful. So it's, it's all about internalization of our thoughts. Uh, we want to con- conquer the world, but we fail in conquering our own selves. It's almost a catch-22. It's like when we try to externalize and we try to achieve and, and conquer things outside of ourselves, we are, um, we're, we're, you're making the illusion real in many ways uh, of that you have some control out there, which is kind of just not accurate. You have some influence maybe. Um, but a lot of times we're, we're spending so much, we're creating so much suffering in our lives over things that are, um, really just out of our control and what isn't, we do have so much in our control. Cause like you said, we, we are creating our own experience of the world through the perceptions that we have, uh, which can be hard for some people to comprehend if you haven't, um, you know, spent a lot of time understanding the way that your mind works experientially. Um, but once you do, it's like, oh, okay, like I'm not experiencing that bus going by. I'm experiencing my brain's interpretation of the sound waves 
But if I experience that as a negative experience, that's me choosing to experience that as a negative experience. And maybe I've been conditioned that way. And I think that's where it takes a little bit of mindfulness and practice to shift those patterns where you're, you have this negativity bias to look for the negative. And if you just start to really force yourself to look for the positives through a journaling practice, through a gratitude practice of some sort, you'll start to see like all of these beautiful, amazing things start to open up in front of you and you'll stop noticing all of the, you know, fear and the like disgust and all of those things that exist. Um, they're all there for you to choose from. <laughs> it's just a matter of what you want to, what you want to fill your life with and fill your attention with. Yeah. And, and, uh, mind you, I'm not saying, uh, you know, everything is perfect in this world and, uh, everything that is happening is, is, uh, the perfect world. No, it's not. There are, yeah. there are things which are bad. Uh, there are bad people out there, but, uh, you, you need to you need to understand in terms of how do you perceive things. Uh, if we go with the expectation of always being happy and always uh, you know, this, you will always face disappointments. But mm -hmm. if you go with the expectation of uh, you know, uh, I know there is there is some stuff happening out there. I know that things happening, but let's deal with it. Uh, yeah. Let let me challenge those. Uh, let me challenge those situations. Let me challenge those circumstances. And then let me see with all that thrown to me, how do I draw a happy picture out of it? You know, because if I am happy inherently uh, within myself, uh, with anything that is happening to me, it doesn't matter what is happening outside. Uh, you know, Frederick Nietzsche, the great philosopher, he, he, he bought this term of Amor Fati, uh, which means be in love with your own fate. And mm -hmm. when you are in love with your own fate, it doesn't matter what happens to your fate. In any form, in any condition, you are just in pure love with it. Uh, so you just go by that. Uh, you know, that, that's, that's the philosophy uh, which I try to practice. And you mentioned a very important point of practice. Uh, yeah. uh, it's that people who feel that if they meditate for seven days, they will be thrown or, you know, <laughs> shot into some bliss which they can be always into. And that's not how it is. You know, even when you meditate yeah. for years, you do go through some upheavals, some traumas. Uh, what meditation helps you to do is to acknowledge those emotions. Emotional intelligence is not conquering your emotions. Emotional intelligence is acknowledging your emotions, understanding what they're trying to tell you, and then giving you a path on your reaction. So it's it's about pausing and reflecting of what your emotions are right now. So if I and you are in a conversation and if we disagree on a topic and if it, let's say this argument gets into a heated argument, uh, I need to understand why this discussion becomes heated and you know why it's not moving seamlessly. I need to acknowledge that as a third party, not mm -hmm. as someone who is a victim. You know, the problem is when we see a problem we look at ourselves as at the center of that problem. And that's why we think all the forces of the problem are coming towards us. And that is what we call as entitlement. But when we shift the position, when we put ourselves to some other position, let's shift left, uh, when we yeah. shift to some other side, we will see that the problem is not directed towards us, but at something else. And we are trying to own that problem. We are trying to call ourselves the victim. 
uh, when we do not, when we turn a blind eye to the problems of others, when we turn, when we do not understand the issues which others are facing. Uh, yeah, uh, in, in my book, I started the book by saying in my first chapter is, how are you? You know, and when you ask a question to someone, how are you? They will either say you have two answers. If someone would say, I am good, I am absolutely perfect. Or, you know, someone, uh, the other person would say, you know, I'm in a complete mess. So these are two extreme answers. When someone says I'm absolutely perfect, he says, I cannot improve further. And when someone mm. says I am in a complete mess, he is not looking at the problems and trying to say that this could have been even worse. Uh, mm -hmm. So we need to expand that scale of goodness and bad in our lives and then see where we do fit in. We cannot be the center point uh, or we cannot be at the center of all the problems or these are visual cues which we need to develop in our minds. And that is how we practice towards it. Yeah, well, I'd be interested in your perspective on something that I've noticed in the, I don't know how this is in in across the world, but in American culture, at least recently, there's a very, there's a lot of suffering that comes from this attachment to trying to, the, the perception that you're defending somebody else. So it isn't, uh, you know, the problem or whatever might not be directly affecting you, but there's this, I do think there's still a, it's affecting your identity. It's affecting your identity as someone that cares. If I don't lash out in anger against this person that's doing wrong against someone else or this injustice, right, then I don't care enough and I'm not a caring person. Um, and I think that that's something that's been on top of my mind a lot. And I just am interested in your perspective on that because in the U.S. that's very prevalent right now because we're dealing with a lot of this like justice things on all different ends and it's like how do we relate to that in a way that's not so full of um you know suffering and aggression because mm -hmm. it's not emotionally intelligent at all it's just lashing out mm -hmm. which is not necessarily helpful yes i mean uh, in recent times uh, uh although i do not see the news but you cannot stay away from things which are happening around <laughs> the world uh and i think us has been in the center of certain uh, such upheavals uh I wouldn't comment exactly on that because I'm not exactly known to the culture. But uh, the thing which you mentioned is, again, going back uh, to uh, the thought of being self-righteous and also uh, an aspect of it of fear of missing out, saying that if I do not voice my opinion about this, am I staying behind? Or will yeah. I be seen as something who is anti-so-and-so? Uh, so I have to say something. I have to make a statement. I have to realize something. Uh, the power of broadcasting through our social media platforms uh, has given us that ability or has pushed us rather uh, or forced us to say something even if we do not want to say something. Yeah. You know, you have an Instagram account or you have a Facebook account. How can you be quiet? There's there's fire happening down down the road and how can you be so blinded about it? That's the thought which has been constantly played. Uh, so if everyone, uh, so which I, which I mentioned at the start of, the, of, of this episode, is that if the popular culture that has been developed is that I have to be a part of it. Uh, and that's the problem. You know, it is absolutely okay to not have an opinion. Not making a decision is also a decision. That is, I think, mm -hmm. we have forgotten somewhere down the road. 
So everyone wants to voice out, everyone wants to speak up because there's so many platforms that it is difficult to pull yourself away from those platforms. It is difficult to remain quiet when so, so many things are happening. And that again, we have to train. We have to build again, coming back to the emotional intelligence. We have to train our minds uh, to remain quiet and just be observer uh, to that party. Uh, again, a, a visual cue which I adopt to this is uh, think of these emotions as unwanted guests in your mind. Uh, you know, you are in a state of absolute bliss. You are in a state of absolute peace. And you're sitting in your home watching your best movies on Netflix. And suddenly you have unwanted guests whom you do not expect. So what do you do? Uh, normally you would go inside, keep them waiting for long. And uh, probably you would serve them your stale biscuits and uh, some cheap tea or coffee and uh, so that they leave early. That is what exactly you need to do with these kind of emotions. You need to not pay attention to it. You do not need to add fuel to the fire. You just keep ignoring it, you know. Acknowledge it. That's fine. Okay. I'm feeling angry. That's fine. I'll feel angry for a couple of hours and then I'll be okay. So let that anger just just linger around a bit and it'll leave on its own because I'm not paying attention to it. Yeah, there's, a, there's an important distinction between reacting and responding. Responding implies that little bit of time that you give in between the emotion and the actual action. With reaction, it's just like an immediate, I'm angry, so I do this. With responding, it's, I'm angry, let me look at that. Okay, now what am I going to do now that I've taken the moment to look at it? Which And most of the time, it, it diffuses, it, it gets that uh, emotion out of the driver's seat. Absolutely. Uh, again, uh, a learning of uh, which has been very profound to me, and I try to uh, ad adapt it in, in such situations, uh, which again came from Bhagwan Maharshi, who was such a great guru. Uh, who wrote a beautiful article, and I think you should catch it if you haven't. Uh, he defined by saying, who am I? You know, and in local mm -hmm. language, that meant Naniyar. That was the, the translation in the local language. So he said, who am I exactly? So he says, I am not the anger that comes to me. I am not the frustration. I am not the happiness uh, the, with the fleeting pleasures that come across. I am not the envy. I am not the five airs that I breathe. I am not the seven structures. Uh, so if I am not all of these, then who am I? So he says, I am only the realization who knows that I am none of these. So if mm. I'm when I'm getting angry, I need to tell myself I am not that person. It is just a momentary thing that has happened because of a trigger, and that has made me angry. I will be I will be fine in the next ten minutes. Uh, mm -hmm. I. If something has happened, if something bad has happened, I, I might be depressed. And that is okay to be depressed for 5 to 10 minutes. But I need to come back and say that was only a moment that made me sad. I'm not a depressing person. Or I'm not a sad person. You know, the same thing goes with happiness. You know, a pleasure, a momentary pleasure. We think that, is, that I have achieved uh, the ultimate happiness in life. But we fail to realize that it would last only for 30 minutes. Uh, before hmm. we want to move to the next goalpost. So we need to realize that we are not these mind states. These are just mind states which come for a moment and leave us. Uh, and we are only the realization that knows about these minds. Yeah. We, like I think the uh, um, um, 
Sam Harris uses the the reference of the observer, which is useful to think of. You know, you're you are the thing doing the observing of all of your thoughts and your emotions, and uh, but you can get caught up, you can get lost in it if you if you're not um, purposefully being aware. You also at the end of your uh, in the description of your book, the conclusion is a moral code and a legacy we must aim to leave. Could you touch on like high level um, what that kind of uh, legacy and moral code that you are proposing through your book? It's very difficult to define morality today. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, in, the, in the chapters, I have tried to explore a bit on uh, uh, the moral philosophy of Immanuel Kant, uh, the moral philosophy of Aristotle, when we talk about the uh, categorical imperative uh, or when we look at uh, utilitarianism your, or the rule utilitarianism principle uh, so how do we define morality today you know uh, is it action based or is it result based uh, i have just kept it very simple uh, one is uh, live and let live you know that's really the morality uh, do not be the moral police let's not judge uh, into what people mm. want to be or what people want to do uh, let's be vigilant to that. But at the same time, if you are being impacted, it is your moral duty to stand up for it uh, and and take action. You cannot be blind uh, to something which is happening wrong. Uh, that's the first rule. And the second principle is give out. You know, uh, there's more purpose in, in giving out to people uh, of what you build and not holding something for yourself. And that is so true uh, for the for the state of our environment, when we speak about climate change, uh, mm. when we speak about the earth eating up, uh, our greed to have everything with ourselves, uh, not pay attention, or rather not pay heed to the other resources, to other living beings on this planet. We need to understand we are a shared resource. Everything does not belong to humans. Uh, the rate at, at which <laughs> animals and species are being extinct are getting extinct right now it's absolutely crazy uh so that's the second moral principle that uh instead of having everything for ourselves we need to create understand what can we create for others so these are the two moral principles and that's so important when we get into the robotic age uh when we get into this 21st century we have already got in 21st century because these are the these are the most important themes which we are not looking into and I think that should be the morality uh, for for you know the next for the for the coming years. Uh, and finally, I touch upon the legacy that we leave. You know, the legacy is not through building assets and leaving a fortune to our people, but uh, building knowledge and leaving the right information uh, to people who will follow, so that they can you know take it forward from there. Uh, that is how that is how I I end the book with. I I can get behind those for sure. I I love that concept of of building a instead of building wealth in 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 terms of resources, building wealth to pass on in terms of wisdom and and knowledge and information and and also, um, I think what's going to be important is filtering um, knowledge and information in a way that you know there is just going to continue to be such a plethora of information available and experiences shared uh, and being able to kind of guide a path of 
everyone's path is going to be a little bit different, but at least kind of like put some goalposts down and say like, here, here's something that we can agree on. That's like um, a goalpost for truth, regardless of where you are raised or what the circumstances look like. True. True. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, we cannot be blinded by that. We, like, we cannot be blinded uh, to our own blindness. So mm. we, we need to wake up and we need to start having these conversations because uh, the current COVID situation has brought that up to us. You know, uh, people with absolute wealth are still living confined into their house houses. So what will what will can they leave that behind to the next generation who will have an absolutely new set of challenges, uh, which yeah. which will not be answered by the current set of solutions? We need new solutions. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing this time and creating the space. Uh, with me for these subjects and I um, will share links in the show notes to the shift left book is there anywhere else where you'd like to direct people to connect with you you can always reach out to me uh, at my on my website which is simple that's my name it's roshanshetty.com I have my blogs over there I have a podcast shift left is out it's available in India it's available in the US and Canada and Mexico and Brazil in the UK in Germany, in France, in Italy, in Spain. It's available in 12 locations of Amazon. And uh, yes, uh, beyond these countries, you can always download the Kindle version. Uh, I would definitely, I would love to read the feedbacks uh, of people. Uh, Let this be a conversation which we get just started on. Uh, This is not a book that I'm trying to pitch in. It's it's a culture that I'm trying to... Mm build up uh, and with people like you Craig uh, with with such beautiful platforms of inviting us and asking us to speak on our ideas it's it's absolutely excellent we have so many communication platforms today uh, and it would be a shame if we do not use them for the betterment of uh, ourselves so thank you very much thanks to you and uh, it's excellent I was I'm really happy to be here and I hope uh, the listeners are happy to listen to this thank you so much you have a great evening